0: Thank you for joining us for episode 413 of Live Happy Now. We're all born with a sense of wonder, so where does it go? This week, our guest is going to tell us and help us rediscover it. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week, I'm sitting down with world-renowned speaker, writer, and authority on the future of work, Monica Parker. Monica has spent decades helping people discover how to lead and live wonderfully. Now she's sharing what she has learned in her new book, The Power of Wonder, the extraordinary emotion that will change the way you live, learn, and lead. Monica reminds us of the wonder we once felt, explains why it's so important, and then gives us great tips on how to reclaim it. Let's have a listen. Monica, thank you so much for joining me on Live Happy Now.
1: Thank you, Paula, for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: You have written such a remarkable book. And I'm really excited to dig in and talk to our listeners about it. So I make sure that we're on the same page. Can you explain what you mean when you say we're talking about wonder?
1: Absolutely. So wonder has a couple of different meanings. It's sort of a shape shifter as a term. So we have wonder as a verb, right? To wonder, Mm -hmm. which is sort of curiosity. But then we also have wonder as a noun, which would be a wonder, which might be something that would cause us to have awe. And so what I did is I wanted to link those two into an emotional experience. And so the way I describe wonder is it's an emotional experience that starts with openness, moves into curiosity, then into absorption, and then into awe. And it's actually almost like a cycle. So the more that we experience any of these different components, the more likely we are to experience them in the future.
0: And it's something that's very overlooked and it's undervalued. And one of the first things that struck me as I was getting into this book is wondering what made you decide that you wanted to study it? Can you take us back to why this topic, because next we're going to talk about why it's so difficult to study. Why? Why did you want to do this?
1: Sure. So my whole life, I have been helping people manage big change, existential change. So my work as a homicide investigator, obviously helping people deal with the fact that the state wanted to deprive them of their life. Working with parents who have children with disabilities, and that is a big change in their expectation of raising a child, and then even working in corporate environments where people are losing their job, that is an existential change. It's a huge ego blow. And so- I actually set about to research and to write a book about change management, which in retrospect (laughs) was pretty freaking boring. So I'm glad I didn't do that. And then when I started doing the research and also reflecting on my own life, I don't think I had the language for it when I was observing it through time. But I realized that people who held their world in a sense of wonder were more buoyant they were more resilient and able to handle what life threw at them and so that just sent me down wonder rabbit hole and 4 years later here we are
0: <laughs> well it was a 4 years that was well spent because this is a wealth of knowledge and you touch on it in ways like i had never even thought of and we'll get into that later but one of the things you do bring up is why it's so difficult to study wonder and i found this really interesting can you talk about that because that might explain Why no one else is, I'm not saying no one else is doing it, but there's not a lot out there about it. And Hmm. tell us why.
1: Well, for starters, because it's a component emotion, right? It has a lot of different elements. So most people, if they wanted to study, say wonder would just study awe, but I Mm -hmm. felt that that was too narrow because in fact, awe is, it feels like something that is brief and fleeting, but more research shows now that we can have awe in everyday life. The other challenge is that just to study the catalyst of big wonder, so awe, is that it, it's very difficult to find something in a lab that will give somebody a sense of actual awe or wonder. And in these lab environments, you know, either they're putting somebody through an MRI machine, which is like the big donut where you have to stay totally still, or they put on this tentacle helmet for an EEG. And so it's all very stilted. It's very difficult to study. So what you end up studying is people's perceptions. So they report to you how they feel. And of course, that's how a lot of psychology research is run, but it just becomes quite difficult to pin down the detail of why people are feeling these things, the intensity that they're feeling, the consistency. So it's really difficult, in fact, to study any emotion and particularly difficult to study one that is meant to have such a, a grand reaction in our brains.
0: Right. And I love how you put it in the book because you say wonder is part science and part soul. And I absolutely love that. And can you help us understand how you came to that conclusion through your research? And then what does that mean to us?
1: Absolutely. So there were a few questions through the research where the scientists would either demur and say, that's not something that's really in my purview. And some of them would just say, that's not an answer that a scientist can answer. That is for the philosophers. And I talk about, you know, the big questions. So we can answer something like, why do I feel pain when I put my hand on a stove? But we can't answer using science, at least. Why does matter give rise to consciousness? You know, why as humans are we conscious? That's when we start to get into philosophy, religion, that's the soul part. And I was really conscious that I didn't want this book to be woo. You know, I grew up in a woo Mm -hmm. household. It was great, but I wanted there to be enough science that people understood that there was something real here. But there is a point at which the science just doesn't explain everything that we experience. And that's when we get into the soul.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that's so important about this book because Live Happy is always science-based and there's so much science in it, but it is such an enjoyable read. And it's very funny. I love your friend in the first chapter. (laughs) I want to go. He was amazing. And so it is, there's a lot of of levity to it. but it's all backed up by science. And I really love that about the book, just as an aside. And, and so when we're talking about wonder now, are we all born with a sense of wonder? Because I think about, I really thought back to childhood when everything was new or when I'm now with like friends, children or grandchildren and everything's exciting. So is wonder something we all have when we come into this world?
1: Absolutely. Wonder is a universal emotion. The scientists have proven this. It is something we've all felt. And absolutely, when we're born, babies are little wonder machines. I mean, you can see their eyes are wide open. It looks like they're tripping out all the time, but just <laughs> absorbing And what's really happening as they're doing that is they're building what's known as schema. And so schema are the building blocks of how our brains react to the world. It's basically the lens through which we see the world. And as those schema build up, then our brains start to say, oh, I've seen that. I understand that. And they try to put it into a box and explain it away. But when you're children, everything is new. And so everything does create a sense of wonder. Everything does repat your neural pathways and build the lens through which you see the world. But the problem is, is as we become older, we get a bit calcified. We feel that we don't have as much to see that has wonder in it. And that's one of the challenges is getting people to really be present enough to see through the eyes of a child, to see, you know, like a beginner. I love Maria Rainer Rilke says that, you know, always be
0: beginning. So are there people who maintain that because some people seem to have a greater sense of oh my gosh look at that even though they've seen that sunset you know hundreds of times and they've seen things but everything sparks them so is it, it kind of like a character strength or what is it
1: Within the wonder cycle you've got openness which is a openness to experience which is a personality trait so openness to experience as a personality trait, one of the big five is going to be half set by your genetics and half set by your experiences by the time you turn 25. That latter set is really important. It's why the way we teach our children literally forms their brain, etc. But by the time we're about 25, our personality is pretty set. Curiosity is both a state and a trait. So what that means is that it can be dialed up based on what we're experiencing in our environment. Or it is also, it has some elements that are just who we are as in our personality. Absorption and awe appear to be just a state. So it's what happens in our environment. So there are certainly people who are more prone. But one of the messages that I want to deliver is that Wonder is not about a moment, it's about a mindset. And so there are some people whose mindsets are going to be more naturally wonder prone. They're gonna be much higher in openness to experience. They're going to be higher in trait curiosity, we'll say, but certainly we can build a mindset that makes us more wonder prone.
0: And let's talk about that. How do you create a wonder mindset and how do you know if you have one?
1: Well, there's actually an assessment that people can take on my website to see how wonder prone they are. It's based on the science, but it is just for fun. So it is, you know, we'll give you an indication. I haven't been able to test it and do all of that yet, but it is based on and you'll be able to see the different scales that it's based on from different scientists. So how can we build a wonder mindset? One of the first ways and the ways that is really primary is through what I call slow thought. So, this is any way that we can slow down our minds to be more present, to be more observant in our environment. So, those are things like meditation, narrative journaling, gratitude, nostalgia, any of the things that get your mind out of the rumination and into the present moment. So, that is one key element. We can practice novelty and trying to grow our openness to experience. Now, I say the openness to experience knowing that our personality is set. But the subset of openness to experience that actually is connected to wonder is openness to new ideas, to new thinking. And so if we can expose ourselves to new ideas, new thinking on a regular basis, that's very helpful. Novelty, just going to new environments, meeting with new people, taking a new route. I love to talk about museums or wonder factories. Those are great environments. Reading, so exposing yourself to new thinking that way, So really novelty is another great way. And then priming ourselves. So priming is a very powerful mechanism, very easy. It's sort of when people talk about like the secret or manifestation, a lot of that from a scientific point of view is just that you're telling your brain, I want to find this and therefore it does. So priming can be as simple as a one sentence. I'm going to find three things to make me feel wonder today. And now you've told your brain, there's a reward for this. I want you to go find it. It's just a little bit like, you know, a bloodhound. Go find it. Go fetch. (laughs) And so that's what it does. It's now been told that it's something worth finding and it will.
0: And then as you do that, well, most people hit a point where their brain automatically starts looking for that? Because I know that's how gratitude is so effective. You know, when you start writing down what you're grateful for, your brain starts looking for gratitude moments throughout the day. Does the same thing happen with wonder?
1: Absolutely. There is an expression that says that when neurons fire together, they wire together. So the reality is, is that any activity you do with enough practice will then become a neural pathway for good or for bad right this is how we have habits and so it's really about just building that habit, building that muscle in order to have your brain react in that way and and we know that we can see that from master meditators. Um, how their brain has actually changed. It literally changes the structure of their brain. And so we know that with slow thought, with novelty, these things when practiced enough and with priming, then we can actually change our brain and it becomes a, a mental rut that we follow and a positive one.
0: One of the challenges that I think people will have with slow thought is most of us feel like we don't have five minutes of silence and getting away. And I know one of your tips for experiencing wonder is to let yourself be bored. So I love that tip. I want you to explain why that's important. And then how do we hit that point? Because we are, we're so inundated with information, with noise, with everything right now.
1: It is a noisy world and our lives are noisy. It's really interesting. I spoke to one scientist who was doing research on happiness initially, and then she started doing research on awe. She says she doesn't want to research happiness anymore because she doesn't believe it's very attainable because people don't know what makes them happy. They miswant what makes them happy. And so that's a challenge. But she went to a kite festival. It was a beautiful day. Everybody was flying these kites and she asked them on a scale of one to 10, how busy do you feel right now? And people were like seven and eight at a kite festival on a weekend. Really? This is a problem. She says, because in our brains, we just think we're busy all the time, even though, you know, with technology and everything, we really don't need to be as busy. So some of this is that we fill our life with a lot of activity, One of the challenges is as well, we have that expression to twiddle our thumbs, right? The idea of being bored, well, It's almost anachronistic now. We don't twiddle our thumbs. We use them quite deftly on our phone, right? We pick up our phone the second we feel bored. I remember as a child sitting, and I'll probably date myself, sitting in the doctor's office and like flipping through the Highlights magazine to try Mm -hmm. to do the, the different puzzles. You know, we don't have that anymore. And so, I think just feeling a sense of boredom and letting that uncomfortable sort of itch creep up our spine, and then questioning how we react to it. And instead of reacting to it with the way many of us do, which is to pick up our phone, instead react to it in a way that is going to fill our brain with something that gets us closer to wonder, with something that is uh, makes us epistemically curious, or with something that helps us with slow thought. But I want to be clear, I'm not good at this. So I know to <laughs> heal thyself. I'm not good at it. So I know what I need to be doing, but I'm still also on the journey with every other wonder seeker.
0: I'll be right back with more of my conversation with Monica Parker. But right now it's time to bring back Kate Vistano to talk about the adventures of Kittles. Kate, welcome back. Thank you, Paula. So how is Kittles loving his cat tree from Malpets? He absolutely loves it. I wanted to talk to you about style because you have a really beautiful home and sometimes it's hard to work a cat tree into your home decor. I will just say this cat tree, I... Cannot tell
1: you enough how gorgeous it is. It just worked so well with our decor. We love neutrals and whites, and it's not obnoxious looking. And unless you <laughs> look at it, it looks like a work of art. You would never even guess, wait a second, that's a cat tree. It is so beautiful. But I also love that it gives back to animal
0: welfare and environmental conservation. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Malpets gives 5% back for every purchase. And it also uses sustainably sourced wood. That's really important to me, Paula. And they also plant a tree, which is incredible for every purchase.
1: So it's such a good way to give back.
0: If you want to upgrade your kitty's furniture and save 5% off your order, visit maupets.com forward slash live happy now. That's maupets.com forward slash live happy now. And now let's get back to my conversation with Monica Parker. Yeah, it's such an incredible challenge because even as if we go out and we say, I'm going to seek wonder and I'm going to look for three things that make me feel wonder for myself, I feel like still in my brain, it's like, okay, get that list checked off because you have stuff to do, Missy, get back to the computer, you know? So how do we kind of balance that? Because we want this, but shutting off that busy timer in our head.
1: I think carving out time for it. I mean, there's a lot of evidence around the power of wonder walks. So what makes a wonder walk a wonder walk? You decide it is. I mean, it's simple as that. There was research where they sent people, two groups of people on a walk. One group just said, go on a walk in in nature. That is beautiful. The other group, they were primed with one sentence, find things that make you feel wonder during this walk. And the wonder walkers came back Having not ruminated about their life. So they had carved out that time just to feel wonder, whereas the other walkers were ruminating about, I've got to pack for a trip, I have this project. And the wonder walkers experienced benefits that the regular walkers didn't. So, you know, stress reduction that lasted for a week, lower stress hormones, yeah, all of that. And so there are a lot of benefits. But how do we carve out the time? Well, there's sort of a, an interesting irony or paradox to wonder, in that wonder actually makes us feel like time is stretched. It actually gives us a sense of time slowing down. And so, if we can make the time for it, it will actually make us feel like we have more time. And so, it really becomes an additive process. If we allow ourselves that time, then it will give us that time back in our own brains.
0: That's terrific. It's kind of like when you make time for exercise, you actually have more energy. So you get more hours in your day. And so it's that That's same exactly. kind of, so I guess maybe we convince ourselves like, hey, <laughs> if you want your time to last better, then go experience Wander and we'll mm. come back and do that. That's great. So one thing that you talked about that I'm really interested in, I don't know if this is something you developed because I'd never heard of it before. And that is wonder bringers.
1: That is my word. I definitely I, had to add it to my dictionary when I was typing it.
0: I love it. I love this whole idea and it makes it so simple. So explain to us what wonder bringers is and then how we find them in our lives.
1: Absolutely. So wonder bringers come in many shapes and sizes. So what we know is the different elements that bring us a sense of awe or curiosity, they can come it as In nature, nature is one of the the chief areas where we feel a sense of wonder. They can also come socially. So social wonder bringer would be like watching your child take their first steps. And then we can have cognitive wonder bringers. And that's the idea of like maybe studying the folded universe or something like that. Or the question I said, you know, why does matter give rise to consciousness? That can be a a cognitive wonder bringer. And then under that, there's so many different strains of the way that we can find wonder. And they may overlap. So you and I might go to the Grand Canyon. And for you, it would be a natural wonder bringer. And for me, maybe it would be cognitive because I'd be thinking about the geology and the first people who saw it. And so these, these aren't necessarily discrete categories, but one of the things that I encourage people to do is just to consider what gives them wonder. And one of the ways to know that is what gives you goosebumps or what gives you those little tears that spring to your eyes. William Broad called them tears of wonder joy. And I love that, you know, this, like these little tears that start to, and you think, well, I'm a little bit clubbed, you know, so that (laughs) kind of, that kind of idea, what are the things that do that to you? And then do more of them. I also want people to feel comfortable using the language of this brings me wonder because I feel that so much of what brings us wonder we may be put in the category of like a hobby and I don't think that that's fair. It doesn't give it enough gravitas. So, if you and your partner, we'll use an example. I think it can almost be like a love language. If you're a person who, for you, your Wonderbringer is going on long hikes in the woods, and your partner's idea of a Wonderbringer is going to the opera. If the two of you say that and you don't share that, then you're going to think, oh, that's just a hobby. They like the opera. Oh, they just like to be outside. Whereas understanding that it's more than that is fundamental to who they are as a human. And I think that that understanding that giving it the respect and the gravitas that it deserves to say, no, this is a wonder bringer. This is actually what builds my mind and helps me see the world through the lens through which I do.
0: And is this something people should sit down and consciously examine and say, what are my wonder bringers and really identify them?
1: Absolutely. Because I think the more that we identify it, then we can say, okay, I only have so many hours in a day. I have this much time. I have one night to go out. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to go out and and have some margaritas? I love margaritas. Or if I know that music is my wonder bringer, am I going to try and go see a gig? And in that prioritizing, then you get the benefits of it. And it still can be obviously a pleasurable activity most of the time, but recognizing that I think and sharing it, wonder shared is wonder multiplied. So sharing it with your friends, even telling the story of something that brought you wonder with someone else will then amplify that experience. And so I think it's really about using the language of wonder bringers, sharing that with other people, and then prioritizing it in your own life.
0: Yeah, as you mentioned, if you share it with others, I think like what a great weekend experience to have like a wonder weekend and you're going to go out and you're going to all do these things that bring you wonder either individually or collectively. And then
1: sharing it, I think that would be amazing. And I'm talking with a friend about even trying to put together some small like wonder weekend trips that help people find that and tap into it, whatever that might be, maybe a cultural one, a natural one, because I think that we get so busy and sometimes we don't honor those things that give us wonder. We think that they're just nice to have as opposed to being fundamental to our spirit.
0: Yeah. Or, or we think, well, you know what, I'm going to put that on the shelf for now and I'll do it when I'm older. I'll do it later. I'll do it, you know, whenever it loses its magic. Absolutely. So we talk a lot about like how we find it and what to do with it, but you have some amazing research on all the ways it benefits us. I mean, this book, if you sit down with this book, like you can't not want to explore wonder because (laughs) it changes everything. That's what amazed me, like all the different areas of your life that it affects. And, And I wanted to start by talking about health. And can you talk about what wonder does for our health? It's really
1: incredible physiologically. And I think this was probably one of the things that struck me the most in writing the book was the physiological impact. I think I understood cognitively that it would have an impact psychologically, but physiologically, it decreases our stress hormones. It decreases our pro-inflammatory cytokines, which is fascinating. So I'll talk a little bit about that. So when we're sick, our body releases pro-inflammatory cytokines to try to make us well. It's a protein and it releases this and then our body counters with anti-inflammatory cytokines and the two of them balance out and that helps heal us. But the problem is, is that when we're not injured or sick and our body releases pro-inflammatory cytokines because of stress or because of some condition in ourselves, then it actually creates problems for us. So two high pro-inflammatory cytokines have been linked to Alzheimer's, to heart disease, to diabetes. And so this is a mechanism for balancing those pro-inflammatory cytokines in your body. And it's really, this is not, you know, junk science. This is really founded, fascinating work. There's also evidence around the connection between wonder and biophilia and what biophilia does for pain management, for helping in recovery after surgery. So a lot of healing that can occur from the wonder of nature as well.
0: That was so interesting to me because first of all, I thought, oh my gosh, if more people had had, if we'd had this during the pandemic, <laughs> mm. people could have been exploring the world so much differently because that was so difficult. And also as we're looking always, we're we're inundated with the news about like okay, Alzheimer's and how to prevent this and how to prevent that. And it's so much simpler that you know, without taking a pill, without mm. having to do these other things, like you have a very compelling argument for mm. using wonder as a wonder drug type. Yeah. Of
1: thing. So I think obviously I'm not saying that wonder is gonna cure Alzheimer's, but right. I think that it opens a door into understanding. So what we do is say, okay. There's some disease we just don't really understand. We do everything we can. We know exercise is going to be good for us. It's always good for us. We know that meditation really helps our brains. And I think that wonder is another way that we can just say, all right, this is calming the reactive systems in my body. And we know that it's connected to the vagus nerve, which really manages that rest and digest as opposed to the fight and fright. And so if we are able to activate the vagus nerve and we're able to calm our reactive systems, then that's good for us. And that will certainly help stave off certain diseases. I'm not, I'm, there's no promises that this is going to cure anyone, but, and I say that I say, this is not going to fix everything, but what it does is I believe it opens a window for us to have a discussion about different methodologies and approaches to healing.
0: Yeah. And overall it's a, pretty easy arrow to put in your quiver because it's not like, you know, meditation is challenging for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Exercise, people don't necessarily want to be doing that as much as they should. Eating right, same thing. And wonder is you're getting an incredible benefit and an incredible experience out of it.
1: Absolutely. I think it's so accessible. And and I know that your podcast is about happiness, but I do keep going back to it's so accessible even in dark times. And this mm-hmm. is one of the things that I found most heartening about it is that happiness really is hard for a lot of people to find. There's this thing called affective forecasting. It's where we miswant what we think will make us happy. We're not very good at knowing what makes us happy frequently also our, our goal and our desire for happiness gets wrapped up in consumerism and stuff. And the idea of hedonic happiness, whereas, wonder we can feel in the dark times and in the light. You know We can maybe look at the war in in Ukraine and say, that's terrible. I can't feel happy about that. But you can be in a state of wonder. You can be in a state of wonder at the resiliency of people. You can be in a state of wonder at the people that are helping. You can even be in a state of wonder at the magnitude of what's happening there. And that, I believe, holding. I know the research shows that holding mixed emotions, the the positive and the negative, the yin and yang together at the same time is incredibly helpful for our resilience. And it really helps us manage traumatic experiences. So holding wonder, I think, especially during difficult times like COVID and the war and all of that is really helpful. It's really an ameliorative for us.
0: And one of the points that you bring up is to stop chasing happiness. And I really love that because, you know, the kind of happiness that we talk about at Live Happy is not the happy, happy, joy, joy. Mm. It's the long term. It's our well-being. It's how content Mm. are you overall. And so talk about how the pursuit of happiness is, is not making us happy.
1: There's a term that I learned, happy And and uh, I think that is really, that's really. <laughs> great I need a minute term. for that one. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that was, I, I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, I know these people. I probably grew up with some of these people, or they're like, no neggies and everything's positive. And it's like, no, everything isn't always positive. You know, the world sucks sometimes. That's just exactly. the reality. When we engage in toxic positivity, we are losing out on the richness of our full emotional spectrum. So we know that people who have greater emo diversity, which means they're able to call up a number of different emotions. So it's not just happy, sad, angry, you know, a really robust, a multivariate number of emotions, that that's very good for resiliency. We also know that mixed emotions, so mixed emotions like wonder, like curiosity is a mixed emotion. We've sometimes are driven to be curious about things that aren't very positive. Nostalgia is another mixed emotion. Gratitude can be a mixed emotion. Sympathy. So any of these mixed emotions where there is bittersweetness, what's known as existential longing. Susan Kane wrote a book about that. Anything that combines the happy and the sad together, the positive and the negative, that dual experience we know is very, very good for us. And it's much more attainable So I found it fascinating that this researcher, Melanie Rudd, who I talked about at the Kite Festival, she said, I just don't study happiness anymore. I study awe because I think that it just makes more sense to study that it's more achievable. So I thought that was really fascinating. And the benefits are significant when you look at it. The quantum of benefits for people who experience wonder are much higher. And in fact, sometimes the scientists will compare happiness to wonder when they're testing it. They'll compare happiness to awe. And awe has a quantum of benefits that's greater than happiness.
0: And I think that's great for people to hear because we put pressure on ourselves. The whole "I should be happy." I have this, you know, I have this wonderful home. And then I you have feel this guilty, and it, right, and then, then it's you put like, all
1: guilt on top of it. It's like you know, it's not helpful. Yeah,
0: exactly. I would love to talk about as well how wonder affects our relationships mm. because that's the biggie for everybody. When we start practicing wonder and we experience wonder, how is it going to change our relationships, both romantic relationships, relationships within our families and our relationships at work?
1: So that was one of the things I started to study as well. And I think of wonder almost like a love language. I think that it's something that we should be talking about with our friends, with our, our partners to say, this brings me wonder. So that that is something that then we value and that we protect and nurture within our relationships. I think that having wonder in the workplace can be really powerful. It makes our teams more bond in a different way. It makes them more inclusive. So, we know people that experience wonder are more welcoming to outsiders. So, inclusion becomes easier. Leaders who are more wonder prone or who lead in a wonder way are more communicative, they're more empathetic, they're more humble, they're more ethical. They're more authentic. And so all of these elements that we know we seek in the workplace, and frankly, in friendships as well, there was a fascinating piece of research that showed that people, when they experienced wonder, not only did they feel more humble, but their friends thought they were more humble. So it actually changes our affect. I thought that was fascinating or people who are genuinely curious. So if you show genuine curiosity about another person, which really is the basis of empathy, right? Empathy is being genuinely curious about the human condition about someone else. People who are genuinely curious and ask questions in that curiosity, the person that they're asking questions of will find that person more friendly and also more attractive. So anybody out there who's you know dating <laughs> on the dating scene, ask genuine questions to someone with authenticity and they will find you more attractive.
0: I love it. So we're going to give our listeners a free chapter of your book. And we're also going to on the website, we're going to direct them directly to the, the wonder quiz. But where else can they start? Someone's listening to this and decide I need more wonder in my life. What are a couple of things they can start doing right now to make that change?
1: Number one, you can take a wonder walk. Really? Again, what's a wonder walk? You decide it is. So you try things that help you find wonder. A new route. Anything that gives you a sense of vastness. So anything that makes you feel like a smaller component part of a bigger system. And then also slow thought. That's just even taking five minutes to allow yourself to be bored and just question what's happening in your brain. That's another great way. And then I love nostalgia or gratitude or prayer. Any of those just five minutes to reflect back on a happy time, to think about that, to journal about it, also helpful, narrative journaling. So any of those, just start with five minutes and see what it does and how it
0: makes you feel. That's excellent. Monica, thank you so much first for writing this book. It's a book that we need. We needed it sooner, but, you know, that's all right. (laughs) But it's just, it is remarkable. Uh, You are here now and uh, it is remarkable. And I really hope people check it out. And thank you again. Thank you for coming on the show and talking about it.
1: Thank you so much, Paula. I really appreciate the kind words and it's been delightful chatting with you.
0: That was Monica Parker talking about wonder. We invite you to check out her new book, The Power of Wonder, the extraordinary emotion that will change the way you live learn and lead when you visit our website at livehappy.com we'll tell you how to download a free preview of the book as well as a free wonder walk poster you can also take her wonder quiz or sign up for her wonderbringer newsletter we'll also tell you how to find her on social media to add more wonder to your daily feed just visit our website at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.